welcome to The Fine Print, a National Museum's NI four-part podcast that looks at exhibitions held in the Ulster Museum through the prism of the art of printmaking. My name is Anna Leeching. I am curator of art at the Ulster Museum, and one of the collections I'm responsible for is works of art on paper, which includes nearly 2,000 prints. We decided to create this podcast during lockdown as we haven't been able to have our usual talks, tours and events programme that would accompany exhibitions. As a curator, I have really missed these discussions and interactions with visitors and other art professionals, so it has been great to take the time to do that, but in a different format. The following episodes were recorded remotely from our homes. Each episode is a conversation between myself and another artist, writer, curator or creative taking an Ulster Museum exhibition as our theme. The upcoming episode is a conversation between myself and Dr Rachel Sloan, Assistant Curator of Works on Paper at the Cordold. We discuss the prints featured in the Renoir and the New Era exhibition. The works in that exhibition have been loaned to us under the Cordold National Partners Programme, part of the Cordold Connects Transformation Project. Renoir and the New Era examines how the Impressionists were groundbreaking in their practice and how they were influenced by the changes of modern Paris. You can check out a full audio tour of the exhibition by visiting smartify.org or downloading the Smartify app and just searching for the Ulster Museum. Rachel and I talked about the place of printmaking in Impressionism and how important a title is in understanding what a work is about. It's also kind of funny to note how many times two curators can say the word collection in half an hour. If you want to know more about the wider artists and artworks mentioned in the episode, you can find the links for more information in the show notes. And as we already mentioned in the podcast introduction, these episodes were recorded remotely with everyone at home and not in the usual studio environment. So please excuse the noise of one of Rachel's neighbours deciding to do some gardening at the end of this one. So hi Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. So you're Assistant Curator of Works on Paper and are primarily responsible for prints. Was this something you always wanted to do and and what was your journey into this role? Well, I've always been really interested in um, in, in prints, prints and drawings and and particularly in um, in the art of the 19th century. And I guess you could say that my journey into my role really began in in childhood. I am, um, as you can probably guess from my my accent, I'm not originally from the UK. I grew up in Chicago, which has one of the one of the best collections of um, 19th century uh, and French and especially impressionist art in in the world. So I, I I grew up being taken to the Art Institute of Chicago to see to, to see this amazing art, and I became extremely interested in it. And then I um, ended up. Uh, studying the history of art as as an undergraduate and deciding to um, to specialize in it um, as a um, as a postgraduate student, I came to came to study at the Courtauld um, and chose to specialize in nineteenth century, actually French and British art, and uh, spent a, a lot of time during my um, during my studies in um, in print rooms looking at prints and drawings, and I just yeah just really really fell in love with them and. Um, all of my work as a curator has, has been with works on paper. The Art Institute of Chicago is still somewhere I really want to go. I've been in O'Hare Airport for seven hours, but never actually managed to like explore Chicago or go there. And it's definitely on my list of definitely print collections and drawing collections that I just want to go and just spend weeks looking at them. So I'll have to let you know whenever I go and you can give me some tips. 
I also look after a works of art on paper collection at the Ulster Museum and, and people are always surprised about the sheer amount of artworks I look after which is probably around 10,000 um, prints and drawings but actually that's quite a small collection compared to some. How many works are in the collection you look after? Uh, well, quite a few, actually. We've got about 7,000 drawings and about 26,000 prints. Um, so it is it is quite a large collection. I mean, uh, large compared to the um, the National Museum of Northern Ireland, but but also not, not so large compared to a place like the British Museum or, or the Metropolitan Museum in, in New York. So it, it's all relative. I recently, but before lockdown, had the honour of getting to visit your stores, and I was really surprised by the sheer range of work in the collection. I think, like most, I associate the Cordauld with the Impressionist and obviously with sort of 19th, early 20th century collections. But there's so much more, including very early works and then also quite recent acquisitions and later 20th century works. Yes, it's a it's a it's a very, um, very diverse collection. And it, um, we, we often talk about the, the Cordauld collection as a collection of collections and that it it. Um, it reflects the the interests of the the various different collectors whose collections came together as the as the Cortland collection. So, with the prints, um, on the one hand, you have um, a, a strong body of, of work given by Samuel Cortland himself, um, and Cortland obviously was extremely interested in impressionist and post impressionist um, works, not just not just paintings but prints and drawings as well. So. Um, so uh, most of, most of, most of the works in the exhibition are um, originally uh, part of Samuel Courtauld's collection, um, but there are also two other principal donors of the um, of the print collection. One is um, an Austrian um, scholar collector emigre uh, named Count Antoine Zeilern, who um, who emigrated to um, to the UK in 1939 for rather obvious reasons, uh, and brought his amazing collection of. Um, of Italian and Northern old masters, um, he did. He did. He did. All, he, he did also have an interest in um, in French impressionism. So there's there's a bit of that in his, in his collection too. Um, but actually, the largest part of the collection uh, actually did not originate as so much a um, a fine art print collection. It um, it's it's um, it started as the Wit Library, which is which is an image library that was uh, established by Sir Robert Witt, who is one of the founders of the, the Courtauld, uh, as a just as as a as an image bank, as a as a research tool for for scholars and for dealers and for curators. Um, so that that brought together not only photographs but also uh, prints, um, principally reproductive prints, um, pr uh, prints that reproduce works of art and other media. But it is—I mean—it was such a vast collection that by you know by the time it was transferred over to the gallery, um, it was found to contain uh, not just um, you know prints that reproduce paintings or drawings, but also some—I mean—some really amazing things like um, huge trove of prints by the 17th-century um, French etcher Jacques Callot, uh, a lot of a lot of excellent engravings by William Hogarth. Um, so yeah, like really, really rich and varied, um, and definitely um, covering. A wide chronological span, so from about the yeah, so it's about from from the, from the Renaissance right up to the right up to the present day, because we are still acquiring um, prints 
uh, and and actually quite a, quite a few quite a few of the recent acquisitions have been uh, modern and contemporary. Yeah, that was really exciting to see when I visited was was the more recent acquisitions, and I think it's something that maybe a lot of Ulster Museum visitors wouldn't realise. There's the Cordell Collection, but there's also the Cordell Institute, and it is this art college that people go and study in. But it's something that people like myself can go and use, like the likes of the Wick Collection, as a resource collection, and it's this incredible sort of font of knowledge for art historians and curators and students as well to go and find out so much about historic collections from across the world just through this sort of one collection. But today we are going to talk about the Impressionists, specifically those featured in Renoir and the New Era, the exhibition I have curated that includes some very exciting loans from the main Cordell collection. The centerpiece of the exhibition is Renoir's famous painting La Loge that was featured in what became known as the First Impressionist Exhibition in 1874. Then there were five works of art on paper, two prints by Bertha Morisot, two prints by Manet and a sketch by Pissarro. Before we start looking at the individual works and prints featured in the exhibition, would you mind talking a bit on how you think the art of printmaking sits within Impressionism? Because I think a lot of people listening wouldn't really think of print when they think of the Impressionists. They think they think of paintings. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we tend to associate Impressionism with, with painting, with a very specific kind of painting, pa- painting quickly with, with quick um, quick dabs of bright, bright colour. But actually, uh, printmaking occupies a really important um, place in, uh, um, within Impressionism um, for a number of reasons, um, partly because it allowed these artists to, um, to experiment in different media, and also because prints are, are not unique objects, they're, they're, they're multiples. And um, through, you know, through, through, through the centuries, artists have found them very useful ways of, you know, of, of getting, getting their art out to a wider audience. And this is actually uh, one of the main reasons that an artist uh, like Edouard Manet took up printmaking, uh, because, it, because it, was, it, was a, it was a really good way to, to, get, um, to, to disseminate his art to, yeah, to, 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 to a wider audience than, than could necessarily have afforded or even have been to see his paintings. I think that's always for me as a print curator, it's something that is so exciting to explain to people how, yes, these are multiples, but they are very exciting because they're produced by the artists themselves. And it's part of sort of getting to see the workings of these artists' minds as well, but it's also their way of, of sharing their work, which was such a major theme of Impressionism was this kind of democratization of art and making art more accessible. And print is just the perfect example of that. And the exhibition does have themes that look at that and, and also looks at who the Impressionists really were at the time. I think they've definitely become, you know, they're part of the canon of art history now. People just associate them with a very sort of linear story of art history. But when you look at back at them at that time, they were rebellious, they were acting against the art system. And you spoke of Manet, though he didn't exhibit with the Impressionist group, he is seen as being a huge influence on his fellow Impressionists. And through my own research, and you and I spoke about this before last week, was that many of these artists were very political, such as Pissarro, who was an anarchist and stated himself as an anarchist. But Manet was not as binary or really open in his political belief, even though historians have often tried to assign this sort of politics to him. But he did record the political and social turbulence of France at that time. And the queue in front of the butcher shop, which is a print in Renoir and the New Era, 
is a really good example of that. And I find this print fascinating, both through the technique of how he has conveyed the activity, through the simple shape and shading, and the subject matter, which also kind of has resonance with recent events in our own society with cues outside shops. Could you talk a bit more about the subject of this print? Yeah, so the queue in front of the butcher shop is is one of actually relatively few uh, prints that Matt I ever did that that actually alludes to a contemporary event, uh, which uh, in this case is the siege of Paris uh, following uh, France's loss to Prussia in the Franco-Prussian War. Um, the Pru- yeah, so the um, the Prussian army besieged Paris in uh, late eighteen seventy, um, early eighteen seventy one, and um, yeah, I. Uh, Supplies began to to run short um, quite quickly, and I mean people people were 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 really desperate. They were I mean that they were they were starving. They would eat anything. So these yeah these 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 queues in front of in front of butchers and and other um other, you know like an, like any other sort of food shop were 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 sadly very common. Um, actually, there's uh, another another work in the um in the Courtauld collection that has that has a um a connection to the siege of Paris, which is a um a painting by um by Degas of a woman sitting by a window. And uh the artist Walter Sickert, who was um his his friend actually records that uh Degas paid the woman um for posing um in um in a like a kilo a kilo of raw meat, which she was she was so hungry that she fell upon and ate straight away. Um so this was I mean this this was I mean this was a, a like a very, very raw and desperate time which which Manet is recording. Yeah it's really important to think of the artists as these recorders of these harrowing events. Obviously the fact that it was a print made it a multiple and it made something that people could see but what I find also as I said was really interesting about it is is how simple his mark making is in in the image it's not a sort of true record as such of a sketch of you know outside a shop it's he's using impressionist techniques to create the image. Yes, very much so. It's, it's I mean, it's, um, from a, a formal standpoint, it's an extremely sophisticated print. Um, none of, I mean, none of the figures actually like has a, co- a complete contour. We, 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 um, we're just aware of where one person ends and another begins by by variations in the in the shading and the hatching, um, and also by the by the very uh, the very sophisticated way that um, that Manet uh, manipulated uh, the blank the blank sheet uncovered by ink. Uh, and in fact, it's 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 very interesting um, to 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 think about this print because it, actually, if if we didn't have the title, if we did if we didn't have the title, the the queue in front of the butchers, and we didn't know that it was made around eighteen seventy eighteen seventy one, we wouldn't necessarily know what it depicted. We might just think it's like it's just you know a crowd of a, a crowd of Parisians in the street carrying um, carrying parasols and umbrellas. That's it. So the title the title is really really important in this case. Yes, because there is something with the image, as you say, it could be just a crowd of Parisians. It doesn't even imply that it is a queue. It is it is knowing that date and knowing and associating it with the Siege of Paris. Because the other image of a crowd in the exhibition is the market scene by Pissarro, which we know is just a rural market scene. And they have quite similar makeups in both images. But obviously, Manet's has a lot more of a powerful image because we know where it was and when it was. Manet, as you say, that was quite a rare subject matter for him for a print, but he did record other events through printmaking. And I've just one that comes to mind that it isn't in the Cordell collection, but is the execution of the Emperor Maximilian. Yes, so this is this is a, a print, actually uh, not an etching, but a, a lithograph that he made in 1868-69, um, inspired by recent events in, in Mexico. Um, 
which is that in eight, so in in 1864, Napoleon III, the um, the emperor of France at the time, uh, installed a, a puppet emperor in Mexico, um, the, the Austrian um, Maximilian, um, because he he was he was he was he was hoping to eventually make Mexico a colony of France. Um, obviously, things did not work out the way he the way he hoped, and he he basically uh, pulled. Uh, all the French army out of Mexico in 1867 when it when when it was obvious that things were not going his way and and really just abandoned Maximilian to his fate and Maximilian was captured and executed by the um, Mexican nationalist forces who were um, who were obviously extremely upset about this this attempt to 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 take them over and, and to transform Mexico into into a colony so this 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 was I mean a very very um, hot political topic. And indeed, so hot that uh, the government censor uh, um, refused Manet pr- uh, permission to publish the print. And in, in fact, it wasn't even published during his lifetime. I think um, it just, both these prints we're talking about really go to show you the amount of sort of political and social turbulence that was going on at the time of the Impressionists. And you're very good at, rec- at explaining French history. It's something that through curating the exhibition and doing research, it's been so difficult to be able to explain French history in quite a simple and concise way to people who might not be aware of it. And it's wonderful that we do have these prints to help us along and the lives of these artists and how they also sort of chose to record political events to be able to help us tell these stories. You've mentioned that he used etching and lithography in his work, and he often used both print techniques in order to create different versions of his painting. So maybe the two prints we've spoken about have been sort of standalone prints, but other times he's also developed existing oil paintings into different prints. Was Manet a printmaker himself or would he have engaged other artists to produce his prints? Well, uh, Manet did, um, he, he, he did make his, um, his etchings and his lithographs himself. To, I mean, to, to the extent that, that he would actually draw the designs on the on the etching plate or on the on the lithographic stone. But he wouldn't have printed them himself. Um, he would have he would have engaged the um the help of a master printer, of which there were there were many highly skilled ones in, in Paris at the time. And in fact the um one of one of the reasons why he gravitated to um printmaking techniques such as etching and lithography was because um you don't need special training in order to in order to do either one. If you're if you're an artist without specialist printmaking training, but you but you want to um, turn your hand to making prints. Both of these techniques are very very close to to drawing. So it's not like it's not like making an engraving where you're very very carefully very laboriously carving your design into into a metal plate, which takes a huge amount of skill and an even bigger amount of elbow grease. <laughs> So that leads us on um, to Morisot's etchings in the exhibition, actually, because that's an example of a painting that he created through etching and lithography using these two techniques. And one of his most famous paintings of Morisot was Bertha Morisot with a bouquet of violets. And I read somewhere that he represented her, I think it was around 11 times between 1868 and 1874 in oil, watercolour and print. I think more than any other person, he depicted it through his art. And his etching in this exhibition we spoke about before has a very different feel to the lithograph that he produced as well that isn't in the exhibition. 
Yeah, so this is this is a really good example of of Mana using two two different tech, like two different printmaking techniques to to, to riff on a, a painted composition and to produce two uh, two I mean two two works that I mean in terms of composition they are, they are very similar to the painting, but but in in terms of um, tone, um, both uh, emotional and coloristic are, are are very very different. The lithograph is much more it's much, um, it's 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 much lighter lighter in tone. It's much more open. Uh, more so as expression is rendered and like it, it, um, it, it's much more neutral it's much more mild whereas the the etching which is which is in the exhibition is is much more intense it's much more dramatic um, he's he's really um, he's really heightened the both the light and the shadows on her face and and um, as 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 well as just the, the intensity of her expression so it's it's a much more dramatic composition and we're very lucky to be able to include artwork by Morriso herself in the exhibition alongside um, depictions of her by Manny. And I love these images. I have a great interest in women artists, so it was very exciting to be able to include her and include such an important woman of Impressionism in the exhibition. And there are two etchings by her, the study of her reading to her daughter, which is so intimate and just a beautiful image, and the reclining figure, which is also very interesting, when you compare it with how male impressionists have also depicted women in this pose. But here it has its own power and it's been created by a woman herself and it's not sexual, it's a different type of intimacy. But another thing I love about these images is that the etchings themselves also have a very experimental quality. And is it true that she didn't actually exhibit her prints and that she didn't really get into printmaking herself until later in her career? Yes, that's right. Uh, none of her, none of Brett Morisot's prints were actually exhibited during during her lifetime. She was she she was quite uh, um, she was quite a lot slower than some of the other impressionists to to uh, to take up print printmaking. And in, in fact, she she was encouraged into it by um, by her fellow um, fellow impressionist Mary Cassatt, um, as well as the poet Stéphane Mallarmé, who was a, a great supporter of the impressionists and, a, and a, as well as a personal friend. Um, so the, the 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 technique that she she chose to um, chose to adopt and to experiment with was was dry point etching, which is um, which involves using a, a a needle called a um, called a dry point, which is which is um, used to to scratch the design directly into into a metal plate. So there's no there's no use of acid, and there are um, there are both advantages and disadvantages to using dry point. The advantage is that it's it's just it makes a really beautiful print. Um, you get these very, um, very delicate silvery lines, and you also get um, a sort of um, a, a velvety quality, which is produced by the, um, the thin, um, the, the like the very, very tiny fragments of metal that um, that are thrown up on either side of the the um, the incised line. So these these little fragments of metal hold ink, and they they give the line this marvelously vel velvety quality. Um, the disadvantage of dry point, however, is that because the um, incision of the lines into the plate is so shallow, the plates wear down really, really quickly. So you can only get about a dozen good impressions out of a, a dry point plate. So, so yes, yeah, so, so prints by Bert Morisot are cons um, uh, by consequence quite rare. So during her lifetime, these 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 wonderfully delicate uh, dry points would only have been seen by her by her family and um, and her circle of friends. And they were actually only um, only seen by a broader public in 1907. Uh, the 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 great uh, art dealer Ambroise Vollard um, purchased uh, um, a number a number of her prints after her death, and um, and actually exhibited them at the Salon d'Automne in 1907, which is where they were yeah they were first seen by the public. 
So that's what makes them even really more special to be able to get to see them now. You're seeing an artist's more personal practice and something that was obviously more so as well often depicted women her in her life and her close circle of friends and family. And then those were the people that she displayed her work to. So to be able to get that kind of window in her personal life is really special and fascinating. Another artist represented in the exhibition that we haven't really talked about, because he's not represented through print, it's through drawing, is Pissarro. Though he was very much known for his printmaking, maybe more so than Manet or Morisot. But wasn't it Degas who actually encouraged him to be more experimental in his printmaking? And what was so experimental and groundbreaking about Degas' own printmaking that Pissarro would have found inspiring? Well, Degas is probably of all the impressionists the, the most boldly experimental as as a as a printmaker, and he 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 would he 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 didn't he really didn't uh, respect uh, traditional boundaries between techniques, uh, which is obviously all all to the good because he produced some some really amazing works and. Uh, specifically, he he like he 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 blurred the distinction between uh, between drawing and printmaking, uh, particularly in uh, I mean, some some uh, sometimes he would he would make a print and then and then he'd he'd work over it um, with a you know with with with, with um, by by drawing over it. Um, one of his favorite techniques was the monotype, which is where you you actually you paint a um, you you paint a composition onto a glass plate and then you um, you lay. Uh, a piece of paper onto the glass plate, and you can you can only take a single impression from that. So that's a, a, a print as a unique object, which which kind of well, it kind of goes 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 against the entire idea of of the, the print as print as multiple. Uh, and yes, he he um, he definitely uh, inspired and, and encouraged uh, Pizarro in in his in his printmaking. And Pizarro did indeed produce uh, a large number of prints during during his lifetime, and he was he was also quite. Um, quite experimental in, in terms of the, the range of techniques that he, he used. He, 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 did, he did etching, dry point, aquatint, lithography. Um, he, 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 he worked both in color and in black and white. So yeah, he was, he was someone who, um, in whose practice printmaking definitely occupied an important place. I just want to finish up. This is the question I always like to ask all curators, especially curators of works on paper, because you have such a vast choice. Is do you have a favorite print in the collection that you work with? Maybe one that necessarily isn't an impressionist print, isn't maybe from the time that you mostly work with. Well, this is a bit like asking a parent what their who, who their favorite child is. <laughs> but um, I'm going to I'm going to cheat slightly, and I'm going I'm going to name three prints. Um, or and actually, and actually, I'm I'm really really cheating because one in one of these um one of these uh, instances, it's actually a, a set of prints. So the first one um, has a really special place in my heart because I actually um you know, it was something that I've been looking for for a long time and I actually um, helped helped to acquire, which is an engraving um, after Peter Bruegel the Elder um, called the Kermess at Hoboken. It um, it depicts a um, uh, um, sort of like a um, church-sponsored sponsored, uh, festivity in a, a little village outside Antwerp, and um, we actually own the um, the drawing for this print, the, the the design for the engraving. But the engraving itself is extremely rare, um, and it virtually never comes up on the market. But I, I did I did actually find it in a dealer's catalog three years ago, and I was just, I was just like I cannot like I cannot tell you how excited I was, and yeah, and and. Um, the upshot of it was that that we that we um, we acquired it, and um, for the first time in literally uh, four hundred years, well, more than that, uh, the print and the drawing are finally finally reunited. So that that's really exciting. 
Um, the other, um, my other favorites, um, the set of prints that I, um, that I alluded to um, just now is um, we have a complete set of Canaletto's etchings of Venice, which are just magnificent. And I always think it's like, it is such a shame that he didn't, he, he didn't make more prints than, than this one set because they're, I mean, they're, they're, they're absolutely stunning. And I think in, in some ways actually, actually more visually exciting than his paintings. Um, and finally, um, actually one of my favorite prints in, um, in the collection is, is, um, in, is in the exhibition. It is, it is Manet's portrait of Bert Royce though. I think it's, I think it's really, really lovely. And, um, yeah, if I could take it home, I would. <laughs> I think I'd have to agree. I think it's one of my favorite prints ever. I was very excited to be able to select it for this exhibition and, and bring it to Belfast. I can forgive you for having to choose more than one print because you've got such an amazing collection. It's very hard to hone that down. And I'm sure like me, your favorite changes every day. A lot of your collection is online, isn't it? So if people want to have a look up on the Cordal website, they can they can see this incredible range of work in the collection. Well, actually, only about a thousand of the prints are currently online, but um, but that that um, that will change. Um, hopefully, by the time we um, but by the time the gallery opens next year, we will have the um, virtually the entire collection online, which which will be amazing. So like so, it, it will it will be available to the public in the in the not too distant future. Well, for now, they can have a good look at one, a thousand of them. And then as you um, upload more over the next year, they can they can get to know the collection. And then hopefully we can all be able to go and visit the gallery when it reopens next year. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And I, I hope, uh, yeah, I hope as, as, ma- as many people as can will, will come and see, come and see the collection in, in situ. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for um, giving us your time today and sharing your role and the collection you look after and telling us more about the Cordal collection. And people can learn more about the specific prints that we talked about today in Renoir and the New Era on view at the Ulster Museum. Well, Anna, it was a pleasure speaking to you today. And I'm really, really pleased to be able to share some of these marvellous works from, from our collection with them, um, with your audience in, in Belfast. Thanks to Dr. Rachel Sloan for that closer look at some of the artworks in our Renoir and the New Era exhibition, and for giving us insight into the Cordold Institute's vast collection. And that's a wrap. I hope you've enjoyed tuning in to the Fine Print podcast. If you haven't listened to all the episodes yet, why not go back and have a listen now for a deeper delve into the art of printmaking. For more information on some of the exhibitions mentioned in the series and the wider Ulster Museum activity, please visit our website at nmni.com or follow us on social media. Bye. The Fine Print Podcast was produced as part of the Ulster Museum Exhibition Programme. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review to help like-minded people discover it for themselves. For more information on the exhibitions mentioned in the series and wider Ulster Museum activity, please visit our website, nmni.com or follow us on social media.